Please sit down. If you'd like to um, take the, uh, the uh, chair Bibles that you've got, uh, hopefully in front of you or behind you, and turn with me to page 1106. We're looking at uh, Galatians 5. And the, uh, the verses that I was given to uh, speak from were verses 22 and 23, just two um, verses. But if you look at those, they start with the word but. And I didn't think it was appropriate to start with the word but, so I thought, well, I'll work my way back a little bit. So I went back a couple of paragraphs. And uh, then I saw that it started with the word so. And you can't really start with the word so, because that's obviously following on from something else. So I found myself going all the way back to verse 13. Hope you don't mind. Uh, I'm going to start from verse 13 and read through to verse 23. Um, I'll be reading from uh, the, the Bible, the version of the Bible that you've uh, got in your chairs there. There might be slightly different words, and we might explore those later on as we go through. But uh, Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So, I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to your word now, I pray that you would open it up uh, to us. Lord, reveal your truth. Speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, if we could have the uh, PowerPoint presentation. You know, sometimes we don't like change, do we? I already had a couple of comments this morning as uh, people came in and said, why are the chairs different? I can't see the screen properly. I, I don't know where my seat is. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that, should I? But seriously, we don't like change. And uh, when it comes to chocolate bars and sweets, I don't like change. Do you remember? Snickers used to be called Marathons. That was a proper name, wasn't it? And then they changed the name of Dime Bars to 
Dame Bath, how you pronounce that, I don't know. Can anybody remember what these used to be called? Opal fruits, yeah. Thank you. Possibly some of the younger people in the congregation, Nick, are saying, what on earth is he on about? But just to allow you to enjoy the, the wonder of opal fruits, um, here's an advert for you. Fantastic. Don't make them like that anymore, do they, thankfully? Do you know, that just reminds me of our family holidays, stuck in the car, and uh, bizarrely it was the greatest excuse in the world um, to get a sweet by saying, Mom, Dad, I'm thirsty. And opal fruits are made to make your mouth water, so uh, I need that rather than a drink of water. But we're not going to be looking uh, today at um, opal fruits. We're going to be looking at the spirit's fruit. But just to make your mouth water, I wondered, uh, does anybody want a sweet? You know, it's a bit hot, isn't it, today? I know they're not opal fruits. I couldn't get any. You okay with that one? Yeah, we're good with that. Anybody else like one? You like the green ones? Green ones are the best. That was a good. Uh, anybody else want one? Thank you, John. You okay with the red ones? Oh, we're doing well up to now. Anybody else? You okay with that one? Like that one? You alright with that colour? You want the green one? You like the green ones, do you? Here, you can pass them around. <laughs> um, it's funny, isn't it, that uh, people's reactions sometimes, oh, I like the green ones, oh, that one's coming up great, I'll have that one. You know, um, as a family, we... Uh, we didn't like the lemon ones very much, so the lemon ones always got left. But I wonder, um, as you think about the, that list of the fruit of the Spirit that I read through, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, um, I wonder what you think about them, right? You know, do you do uh, um, kind of one more than another? Are you uh, a bit more kind of... Uh, uh, kind than, than you are patient. Yeah? Are you a bit more orange than lime, maybe? Right? Um, are you, do you do gentleness better than you do joy? Um, you know, are you better at blackcurrant, or sometimes do you look as if you've been sucking on a lemon? <laughs> now, I don't have time this morning to look through all the nine fruits of the Spirit. Um, a nine-point sermon in this heat would probably not be great. So instead, I'm going to look at um, three key areas. And I'm going to look at the characteristics of fruit, the criticality of fruit, and the consequences of fruit. Characteristics of fruit, criticality of fruit, and the consequences of fruit. So first of all, the characteristics of fruit. 
As we read through those verses, I wonder if you um, wanted something, uh, noticed something strange about the kind of language that was used. Um, Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is. He uses a singular word. It's singular, not plural. Fruit is a collection. It comes as a whole, though. It can't be kind of separated out. It's uh, a bit like the fruit of the Spirit is more of a smoothie than um, uh, a kind of a, a collection of fruits that we can pick and choose from. Just like you might prefer the limes or the, uh, the strawberries or the oranges in uh, Starburst or Opal Fruits, um, depending on your age, um, you can't do that with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is all these things. You can't uh, miss things out. But I want you to contrast that with what Paul said earlier on in that passage we read about the uh, acts of the sinful nature. Some uh, versions of the Bible say the acts of the flesh. Right? Looking at verse uh, 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. It's a plural thing. You know, you don't have to do all of those sinful acts to be sinful. Right? You can decide. It's your choice. Um, you can say, if you wanted to, tonight I'm going to get drunk. Um, you don't have to do everything else. You can decide, uh, you know, I'm feeling hatred right now. But not so with the fruit of the Spirit. You can't pick them. It comes as a whole. And you can't say, do you know what, I'm just not a joyful person. God didn't make me that way. That's rubbish. God made us to be transformed into the likeness of his son. He made us to be bearing of the very characteristics that are described in that list of fruit. You can't say, do you know what, I wasn't particularly patient yesterday, so I'm going to be particularly an extra kind today to make up for it. That's not how the fruit works. It comes as a whole, as a single uh, a collection. Then there's not an optional sequence. Right? It's not like, well, first of all, I'm going to start being kind, and then I'm going to work my way up to being uh, generous, uh, and then maybe I'm going to find my way to be a little bit more patient. We're expected to bear fruit in all these areas all the time. That's a tough ask. You know, it's not like um, one of your five a day, or is it supposed to be ten a day? I don't know what it is now. But, uh, you know, so long as you've at least had five portions of fruit, you're all right. It's not all right if you've only exhibited five portions of the Spirit's fruit. And in fact, there's more than nine, right? There might be a list of nine, and you might have been ticking them off there and saying, well, actually, I'm pretty good at that. I'm okay with that. Um, I'm, uh, I do that uh, fairly well. But it says, verse 20, um, uh, 23, against such things there is no law. That is not an exhaustive list of the fruit of the Spirit. There are other things that exhibit the characteristics of God. Things like worship. Worship is fruitful, isn't it? 
worship is a fruit of the Spirit. What about giving? What about repentance? What about discipling? What about our attitude to work? All these things are fruit of the Spirit. They're demonstrations of the character of God. So don't just think you can uh, um, look at those, uh, that list of nine. Now, whilst I say there's um, not a, an optional sequence, I think love is at the start of that list for a very particular reason. Because love underpins all the fruit. Colossians 3.14 says, Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's kind of hard, isn't it, to be patient if you don't have love. It's kind of hard to be joyful if you don't have love. So whilst I say there's no sequence, um, actually love uh, is above all those things. And just as uh, there are more fruit than the nine in the list there, also the list of sins the list of the acts of the flesh given in verses 9 to 21 is not an exhaustive list. Um, It says, uh, verse 21, having gone through the list, you know, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there are many other things um, that we could add to that list um, in terms of sinful, the acts of the sinful nature. Third of the characteristics of fruit is, I want to be clear, that they're not the same as gifts or talent. The gifts of the Spirit are very distinct. The gifts of the Spirit are given by by God, by his Holy Spirit, to fulfill his purposes. They're given from without to to act uh, through us. The fruit of the Spirit, however is produced from within us. It's the result of us submitting to God, submitting to the control of his Holy Spirit. So they're quite different. Gifts might be given for a particular time or season. One gift might be given to a certain person. 1 Corinthians 12:11 says, The Spirit distributes gifts to each one just as he determines. We should all have at least one gift, but um, we're not all called to be prophets, we're not all called to be teachers, we're not um, uh, uh, all called to be healers and so on and so forth. The Spirit distributes gifts according to his will. But John 15:16 says, I chose you, this is Jesus speaking, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. We're all to bear fruit. The fruit is not the same as gifts or talents. The fruit are attitudes that drive actions. Attitudes that drive actions. You see, an action without the right attitude is just hypocrisy. We might do good things, but if we don't have joy ourselves, we're being hypocrites. That makes sense? Actions without the right attitude is hypocrisy. If we have the right attitude but don't have actions, then it's meaningless. 
Right? We can say, I'm a really joyful and generous person, but if we don't spread that joy, if we don't give generously, then it's meaningless. You can't have expressions of love without having love itself. You can't have joy um, without the expressions of joy. But attitude with action bears fruit. It's fruitful. And I guess this is summed up in uh, the very famous well-known passage, I'm sure you uh, know this from 1 Corinthians 13, that says, you know, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, and without love, we're just a clanging gong, uh, sounding symbol. So next, the criticality of fruit. What do I mean by this criticality? I mean that Bearing fruit is fundamentally important to the Christian life. It's absolutely critical. If we don't bear fruit, then there's something very wrong. Now, verse 17 refers to something of a conflict that's going on uh, in our lives. Verse 17 says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. It's almost like there's a kind of tug of war going on in our lives. Uh, our, our sinful, our fleshly nature is trying to pull us one way and the, and the spirit is trying to pull us a, another. We've got this uh, kind of remaining humanness in our flesh. Whilst we might be a new creation, um, we're still subject to the fallen nature of, uh, of flesh. And until we receive our new bodies, that uh, struggle is going to carry on. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I was coming back from London the, uh, the other evening, and I knew I had to be back um, at church for 8 o'clock because there was uh, uh, one of Jonathan's uh, preaching uh, classes. And uh, um, I got the train that would get me into Warrington Bank Key at quarter past 7. Brilliant. And I knew I had to be back because that night I was down to do a trial sermon, try and put into practice the things that uh, uh, we'd learnt. Um, and I was, together with Arthur, was uh, um, up on that, uh, that rostrum <laughs> rotor for um, people to speak that night. Anyway, um, we pulled out of the station and uh, the train was crawling along, slower and slower and slower. Eventually, the... Uh, um, train manager came over the, the tannoy and said, uh, look, sorry, there's been some signal failures in Watford. Uh, we're just having to crawl through, um, through the, uh, the red lights. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we're going to be about 15 minutes late. It's okay. So, well, that's all right. I, I can still make it. Then we were still crawling on. We got through Watford, which is where the signal failure was, and uh, we still didn't seem to be going any faster. And then he came over the tannoy again and said, sorry, um, because the weather's so hot, um, the, some of the lines are buckling, um, and so we're going to have to divert you through Northampton. And this is going to add about another half hour to, uh, to the train journey. And I'm thinking, and, and, and I could feel, um, you know, almost like the frustration um, rising up. And, you know, this was a real struggle, because at the same time as I was doing this, I was trying to scan through my preaching notes for the evening. Yeah? So on one hand, I was trying to focus on God and concentrate on him. and the other, there was this frustration of the world pulling me back. And, uh, 
again, we got slower and slower, and eventually we were about an hour and a half late. <laughs> um, and uh, I think I arrived about nine o'clock, didn't I, Arthur? Just in time to, uh, um, uh, to, to speak. But the wonderful thing was that I recognized, and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit prompting, just be careful. Right? Because you, it's so easy to lose your rag, lose your patience. And, uh, you know, if you're anything uh, like me, that, you know, once you start to get frustrated and angry, it's very hard to wind back, isn't it? So we have to be so aware of this tension, this battle that's going on in, in, our, in our lives. And so the fruit of the Spirit is sent to help us in this inner struggle that we have. And verse 18 says that if we are led by the Spirit, if we're led according to those, those fruit, then we're not under the law. We're not subject to this law of struggle um, that, uh, that we're faced with. Now, I just want to explore kind of uh, um, what we mean by that law a little bit. Um, so, uh, against things there is no such law. What does that mean? I think there's two, two things really by this. The first one is that, uh, you know, we are subject, as I said, to the fallen nature of, uh, of our beings. The law of sin, we know from Genesis, brings decay and death. And our earthly bodies are subject to this. And uh, when we commit acts of lawlessness, that's when we experience this kind of conflict. But the fruit of the Spirit can't be touched by that law. It's from the Spirit. It's outside of, uh, of that fallen nature. It's not subject to decay and death. They are eternal characteristics. And so there can be no earthly law against them. Secondly, why is fruit so critical? Well, it's the enabler of discipleship. You know, when we think about the commands that Jesus gave us, you know, we try and distill it down to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. And that's a really good distillation of it all. You know, Jesus said, all the law hangs on these things. But there's so many other things that we are c- commanded to do that come from that. We're told to give joy in all circumstances for example. We're told to love one another as we uh, love ourselves. How can we do that if we don't have fruit? We can try as hard as we like to, to be joyful and loving and kind, but do you know what? That's trying to do things by works. Isn't it wonderful that when Jesus not only gives us commands to be joyful, to be kind, to be generous... He also gives us the means to do it. Through the fruit of the Spirit, we can know joy, we can know peace. The very things that he uh, commands us to do. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And God has given us everything we need to fulfill all that righteousness. Thirdly, The fruit of the Spirit is part of your transformation. You know, conversion is just the beginning. That prayer of commitment, that repentance, it's only the start. 
Jesus didn't command us to make converts. He commanded us to make disciples. And with discipleship comes this, uh, this uh, transforming, um, becoming a, a new creation in him. Because James warns us that if we've got faith, if we've got that kind of conversion, that belief, um, that trust in God, but then we don't do anything about it, we don't bear fruit, then that's dead. So bearing fruit is part, a critical part, of our transformation. And as you mature as a Christian, as a disciple, you become more and more like those things on the list. And then the last thing that I would pick out on the criticality of fruit is it's required for fullness of life. Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. And I wonder, do you think you can have fullness of life if you're not happy? If you're not full of joy? Do you think you can have fullness of life if you don't have love? Do you think you can have fullness of life if you're forever impatient? I don't think so. You know, I think this fruit of the Spirit are just so perfectly uh, framed to allow us to have that fullness of life, no matter what circumstances we're in, um, because the fruit transcends the, uh, the situations we find ourselves in. And Paul knew this only too well. Even though he was locked up in prison, he still was full of joy, still was full of uh, love and generosity and kindness for um, his fellow Christians. The result of bearing fruit is being content in all things and having a fulfilled life. So then thirdly, the consequences of fruit. The first thing is, um, fruit is the mark of a disciple. Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognize them. How do you know that somebody is a Christian? Well, they might tell you, but equally... um, It ought to be, you should be able to tell that somebody is a disciple of Christ by their actions, by the fruit that they display. If you're not bearing fruit in such a way that people go, what's different about you? You know, why do you behave like that? If you're not bearing uh, fruit like that, then uh, you need to, to take a long, hard look at what it really means to be a disciple. The fruit allows us to be salt and light. Second consequences of fruit is that we're pruned. Now, I'm not a gardener at all. Cutting the lawns and uh, jet-washing the patio is probably about the limit of my skills. But for some bizarre reason, we do at the bottom left-hand corner of our garden have a very small patch with some raspberry canes in it. Um, uh, there's about 10 canes. It's a very small area. And the other day, I thought, oh, they're looking a bit bushy. Um, they're kind of breaking free of the, uh, of the wires that's holding them up. I think I'd better go in and, and cut them back a little bit. Um, so I went in and uh, started pruning. And bizarrely, although it looked massively flowery on the outside, uh, full of leaves, green leaves, once I started pulling the canes back, they were full of these dead canes that just snapped off in my hand and by the time I pulled all those out I had a heap of uh, um, dry uh, brown withered canes more than the rest of the, uh, the the plants that were left but you know what since I cleared all that out um 
already I can see little raspberry uh, buds forming. It's bearing fruit now where perhaps previously it wouldn't. Now as Christians we should expect to be pruned. And pruning might be a painful exercise for us. It might be hard. We might be tested in certain ways um, that uh, tests our patience to the limit, tests our joy to the limit. But God does this to us to encourage us to bear even more fruit because if we've gone through trials that tests um, our fruit in this way, then how much more fruitful will we become? So don't be despondent when you go through trials. See it as a pruning See it as God's uh, desire to see you bear even more fruit. But there's a different kind of pruning for those trees that don't bear fruit. Again, from that same passage, Jesus says, If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Just like those raspberry canes that were all dry, I threw them away. They were all withered. They didn't bear any fruit. Eventually, they were put in the bin, thrown away. If we're not bearing fruit, we run the risk of withering. And if we're not bearing fruit and we're thrown away and we wither, then effectively we find ourselves cut off. If you go on to read that passage in John 15, I urge you to do that uh, um, maybe this afternoon when you have some time. There's some very stark warnings. Remember, James said, faith without works is dead. A disciple without fruit is dead. So I just want to go back to uh, our spirit's fruit. I don't know what happened to the font there. got all screwed up. Sorry about that. It was perfectly done before. You know, opal fruits were made to make your mouth water. But the Spirit's fruit is made for so much more than that. John 7, 37 says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So his spirit is the living water. His spirit flows through us as living water. It's exhibited as fruit that comes from us. And as we consider our church vision and we consider that, that uh, kind of uh, metaphor of water flowing from this space, feeding those plants that are, and those trees that are dried and, and withered, that are so desperately in need of that nourishment and, uh, and nurturing. How important it is that we bear that fruit to pour out that, uh, um, that living water. So we should be urged to become so fruity that not only our mouths water, we're not only saying good and wholesome things, but our whole being flows with the living water of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, our lives would just demonstrate the fruit of your Spirit so powerfully. Lord, help us not to be people that seek to pick and choose and say that uh, 
we're a particular kind of person. Lord, I pray that you would make your fruit abundant in each one of us. And as you do that, Lord, would you make us into a body, into a church, into your people that pours out living water into the places where we find ourselves, into this uh, village, Lord, into the places we live, our streets, into our places of work. Lord, would we be a source of your refreshing? Would we be a conduit for your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.